Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Kaiju Carnage. I am your host, Cal the Kaiju Guy. And today's episode is going to be part two, the continuation of the episode that I did last week. And today's episode is called Showa Era, The Rise and Fall of Godzilla, Part 2. Now, before I jump into the episode, I want to just say a few things. One, to the <clears throat> individual that discovered my show over, you know, about two or three days ago and pretty much blazed through my entire library and made it to where whenever I woke up, uh, Friday morning, I had like 70 plus new listens. Uh, thank you. Thank you for discovering the show. I'm glad that you were a, uh, that you were obviously a fan of it for you to just blow through every single episode because everyone that I've got has at least one more new listen. So I appreciate it. I always love getting a new listener here and there. Um, <clears throat> guys, I'm going to go ahead and say I'm blown away with the reception that The Rise and Fall of Godzilla Part 1 got. Um, you know, I'm a small-time podcast, so my numbers, you know, aren't as big as other podcasters that do more popular trends or more popular themes or things like that. Uh, so numbers that other podcasters might scoff at, I sit there and think, man, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty great. And I'm going to go ahead and say that in a Saturday to Saturday release, Showa era, the rise and fall of Godzilla part one got 45 listens overall. Um, it actually beat Godzilla versus Megalon's record that was the fastest episode that I ever got had that got from zero to 40 in one week. Like, and it did it like just Saturday to Saturday. Like, you know, I released it one Saturday morning and then it was the following Saturday evening. It got to 40. And I remember thinking like, man, that's great. This is my first episode to do so. And this episode getting to 40, like it was like 41 uh, Friday or something yesterday at the time of this recording. And so today it is currently at 45 and, um, I'm very happy. I'm very pleased. Thank you guys for checking it out. I hope, uh, you, I hope I get return listeners to listen to, uh, part two, but, um, I very much appreciate it. And I told my friend, uh, Kid Kong, you guys remember Kid Kong. He was a guest on the Rebirth of Mothra episode that I did. And then you, a lot, pretty good chunk of you guys went over to his podcast and boosted a lot of his numbers and everything. And I really appreciate that. Uh, I, I actually told him that this episode or the one part one and now this week's episode part two is really encouraging me to come out with more original content. To where I'm not just going to talk about, okay, here's a movie, and this is how it was made, and this is the legacy and reception. That will still be the core of the podcast, but I have been thinking for a while, like, man, what kind of original content can I come out with and everything? You know, stuff like Godzilla's top 10 most awesome moments and things like that. But doing the rise and fall of Godzilla, where it's original, where I just pretty much break down each movie and talk about 
the overall theme of it and how, you know, Godzilla started out very strong, rose to great popularity, and then had a very, very hard fall whenever he fell. Like, this has encouraged me to do more original content, so you guys can, uh, can expect to see more original content from me in the future, and I've already got some ideas. Uh, something else that I'm going to go on ahead and mention is that, uh, last week I asked, I challenged my listeners, do you guys have any questions or comments or anything like that that you would like for me to read on air? And I have a listener, he's one of my, one of my favorite listeners, to be honest with you, and he's one of my most diehard listeners. His name is Eddie Crosby, and he's one of my Australian listeners. And he sent me a question that is very thought-provoking. It is very, like, I don't know, like, I read it, and I was just like, man, this is a, this is a freaking awesome question. And I'm not going to actually read the full question today, and I'm going to say, Eddie, if you're listening, I have decided that since the question is so complex and so thought-provoking, as I said, I don't want to do it an injustice by just simply answering it very quickly uh, at the start of this podcast. So, <clears throat> uh, again, I talked to my friend, Kid Kong, and showed him the question He's very into the question. He thinks it's like, you know, also very thought-provoking and all that. And he and I have decided that we are going to dedicate an entire episode to that question. To break down, basically, everything about the question. And the question pretty much was, it's a theoretical question, and this is really just a shortened version of it and all that. Whenever I actually do the full-on episode on the question, uh, I'll read... I'll read the question in its entirety. But basically what it entails is what if Hollywood had continued to shell out original kaiju films instead of doing like Americanized versions of existing Japanese kaiju films? Like, you know, they came, Hollywood came up with some pretty cool monsters. Like they came up with the Retosaurus, which directly inspired Godzilla. Um, you know, and then you have <clears throat> other really cool monsters, uh, that went on like into the seventies and the eighties and all that kind of stuff. You've got Telos from Jason and the Argonauts. You've got the Kraken from Clash of the Titans, um, the Cyclops and the Dragon from the Sinbad movies. And just, you know, they came up with some very cool kaiju, but they ended up just being, just one shots and they never really did anything else with them. And then whenever Japan started really finding their Kaiju footing and coming out with Godzilla and Gamera and things like that, well then Hollywood would basically be like, okay, we're going to take that movie. We're going to re-edit it. We're going to shoot some of our own scenes and insert it into the film and it'll just be an Americanized version of the original Japanese version. And basically the question is, what if they decided not to do that 
and they pretty much continued to just come up with their own kaiju and come up with their own movies. Like, what type of creatures would they have come up with? You know, would they have used just normal animals like they did with the film Vilm? Whenever they pretty much just made mutated ants, which then started the big bug craze where we got movies about giant tarantulas and other spiders and things like that. Um, you know, basically, what would have happened? It's a, it's a good what-if scenario. It's a good theoretical question. I really, really liked it. And like I said, I don't want to do it an injustice just by answering it within four or five minutes at the beginning of this episode. So I wanted to give you guys a heads up that not next week because of Kid Kong's schedule with his uh, his daughter and all of that kind of stuff. And also, uh, he and I both are going to be guest starring on another podcast, and I'll get to that later on. But um, not next week at the time of this recording. I'm going to do another kaiju film, but the week after that, he's going to come over here to the house. We're going to record a full-on episode. It's going to be just a conversation between me and him. We're going to talk about basically the history of kaiju in... American movies and in Japanese movies and the Japanese influence that ended up uh, coming over to affect future Hollywood films and all of that. And we're going to talk about the theoretical question of what if Hollywood had continued to just do their own kaiju or monster movies or something like that and did not allow that Japanese influence to just have them shell out Americanized versions of Japanese movies, like what we could be looking at to this day. And so that's what we're going to do. So, Eddie, I know I told you in a message that, you know, I was going to talk about it on this episode. Uh, I'm very sorry that I didn't I didn't get with you beforehand on letting you know, but uh, I think you should be pretty pleased that uh, your, your question that you sent me is going to be a full-on episode of the show. And uh, while I'm talking about all that, if anybody has any other types of questions or comments or anything like that, if you just want to let me know who your favorite kaiju is, who your favorite uh, design for Big G is, like what's your favorite Godzilla era, like Showa era, Heisei era, you know, any of that kind of stuff, just shoot me a message on Facebook or on Instagram or anything like that and, you know... I'll be more than happy to read it, read your name, read where you're from, and all of that kind of stuff on the show, and all of that. I've got no problem doing it. So if anybody has any other comments or questions or anything like that, please feel free to message me. I really enjoy doing stuff like this. It does not bother me in the slightest. You are not going to be pestering me. Um, there was there was a guy uh, a few days ago. He just started sending me pictures of Godzilla that he's appeared in in other media, like, you know, Godzilla-inspired monsters that's appeared in DC Comics and uh, pictures from the Godzilla run that happened in Marvel Comics and all of that kind of stuff. Like, he, he was just sending them to me. And, I, you know, I was basically like, do, do you, like, what, these these are pretty cool, but, like, are, do, you need, do you want me to do anything with these? He's like, no, I just want to show you. I'm like, okay, sure, go right ahead. And he just kept on sending them, and I, you know, I would look at them. I don't care. Like, if you guys want to send me things, if you if you are an artist and you've done some of your original 
kaiju artwork or anything like that, by all means, send that to me. I do not care. I will look at any <clears throat> artwork or picture or anything that's kaiju related. If you guys want to send it to me, I'll check it out. And like I said, comments, questions, you know, give me your name, tell me who you, who you are, where you're from and all that kind of stuff. And I'll, I'll, I'll read your question and or comment on one of my podcast episodes. So go right ahead. It does not bother me. So, okay, guys, <clears throat> I know that was a heck of a long intro, but, um, so yeah, here we go. Showa era, the rise and fall of Godzilla part two. Now, pretty much part one was basically talking about the rise of Godzilla from the 1954 original film that he was in up to the point that we got, which was uh, Ebera, Horror of the Deep. You know, there were some ridiculous moments here and there and all of that kind of stuff, but mostly <clears throat> in that first little part of the Showa era, like the first seven films, the Godzilla franchise is building and it's beginning to gain traction and all of that. You know, he had his, you know, his original debut in the film of, uh, in 1954, Gojira. Then they introduced him being able to fight another monster in Godzilla Raids again. Then they decided to do a crossover with King Kong, which led to another crossover with Mothra, which led to... Godzilla becoming so popular that they decided to try and make him more of a hero. And so they created this new big bad monster that was based on Yamata no Orochi from Japanese mythology, the eight-headed dragon, but they changed him to only a three-headed dragon. And that's how King Ghidorah was created. And he was the main villain in back-to-back -back films. And... You know, Godzilla was beginning to make the transition, and then you have Ebera, uh, Horror of the Deep. And he's still, like... Like, people are still afraid of him, obviously. Like, whenever they discover him in the cave in Ebera, Horror of the Deep, like, they're terrified of him. They're like, oh my god, it's Godzilla and all that, and they're afraid to wake him up and all that. And then they finally decide, hey, let's go on ahead and wake him up. So that the soldiers that are chasing the main characters of the uh, of the film will be more preoccupied with Godzilla than they would be with them. Like, then, you know, they're afraid of running into him here and there, but it just goes to show the, the, the direction that they had gone with the Godzilla franchise in that in the original Godzilla film, you know, he was this terrifying monster whose sole purpose in existence, it seemed, was to destroy Tokyo. And then at the end of Ebera Horror of the Deep, whenever the island's about to blow up, everybody is literally in the little basket being carried by Mothra, and they're screaming at Godzilla to run, to get off of the island, get into the water and all that. Like, they're cheering for him, they're rooting for him. And just in those seven films, that's how far Godzilla had come in terms of popularity and fan reception and how fans viewed him to where he was no longer this villainous creature that was just determined to destroy things. He was this creature that people liked, people cared for. They were afraid of him, but they cared for him enough 
to root for him to get off of the island that he was going to be stuck on. And so that's where we left off. And on today's episode, I'm going to be talking about the final films in the Showa era. And those films are Son of Godzilla that came out in 1967 that was directed by Jun Fukuda, the same director that did uh, Ebera Horror of the Deep. Then Destroy All Monsters that came out in 1968. All Monsters Attack that came out in 1969, both of which were directed by Ishiro Honda. Godzilla vs. Hedera in 1971, which was directed by Yoshimitsu Bano. Godzilla vs. Gigan in 1972. Godzilla vs. Megalon in 1973. Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla in 1974. All three of those films were directed by Jun Fukuda. And then the final Showa-era Godzilla film, The Terror of Mechagodzilla, that came out in 1975, that was directed by Ishiro Honda. And talking about just the directors, I think that, that it was pretty cool that Ishiro Honda pretty much began and ended the Showa era of Godzilla films. Like, he directed the original 1954 film, and then he directed the final 1975 film. Like, you know, it just pretty much came uh, full circle for him. So... Let's jump right into it, and the first film we're going to discuss is Son of Godzilla. Now, Son of Godzilla, honestly, was a critical success. It was not much of a financial success. Personally, I have a love-hate relationship with Son of Godzilla. Um, I think the special effects are amazing. Uh, the special effects was actually like one of the main praised things about the movie, that they thought that the direction that they went with the monsters and how they controlled them and all of that kind of stuff, the way that they handled Kumonga in the film and all of that kind of stuff, that was all praised. That was all done very, very well. My issue that I've always had with the movie is the fact that I just, I don't care about what's going on with the monsters. Like, I, I just, I don't give a hoot. And it's not that it just wasn't that interesting. It's that to me... For this film, they came up with a story and had such a great cast for the human aspect of the story. I just found myself far more interested in what the humans were doing and the human scenes, like the drama scenes and all of that kind of stuff, more than what I was with the kaiju scenes and all of that. But how this movie ended up coming about, and again, I have an episode on every single movie in the Showa era of Godzilla. So if you want to hear any of this to you new listeners in far more detail, just go back through my library and find the uh, the film that you're wanting to listen to and all of that. And I will talk to, you'll listen to me talk about the making of and legacy impact, all that kind of stuff and everything in far more detail than what I'm going to give today. Like like I said, I'm just pretty much running through, um, you know, the Cliff's Notes versions of these movies so that these episodes aren't super, super long. If I really, really, really wanted to break down each individual episode, the, the rise and fall of Godzilla would go up to like, you know, part eight or something like that. So, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just kind of blowing through these for the most part. But if you want to hear anything in more detail... By all means, check out my library and listen to the episodes that I did that are solely based on the Showa era 
Godzilla films. But how the Son of Godzilla ended up coming about was, again, they wanted to have an island setting, same as with Ever a Horror of the Deep, so that they could cut back on budget and save money and all that. They wouldn't have to build such crazy elaborate sets and all of that kind of stuff. But the Godzilla franchise was beginning to fall. Like, it was beginning to go down in popularity. It wasn't making as much money as it was before. And so Toho decided that they wanted to try and pull in some more audience members by making Godzilla a father. And mainly just so they could give him a child, whether it was female or male or whatever, they wanted to create a baby Godzilla, which ended up uh, becoming Manila, for the sole purpose of bringing in the date crowd. And what the date crowd was, was basically these women that wanted to go to these romantic movies and all of that kind of stuff and or cute movies and all of that and drag their boyfriend along. They wanted to try and get that. They wanted to try and pull those women in by saying, hey, come check out the Godzilla franchise. Godzilla has a son, a nice, cute, funny little son and all of that kind of stuff. It seems like something that you would enjoy. That was their idea. The execution didn't really work out all that well, because like I said, and like I've said numerous times whenever it comes to me talking about Manila, is that the they wanted to make something cute, something that people would go, oh, how adorable, and all of that kind of stuff, and they could not have made this thing uglier. Like, it's just, like, my, my main phrase I go with is that he's uglier than sin. Like, it's just, gah. Like, you look at Manila, and you're just like, Jesus. Like, that was... That's what they poured thousands upon thousands of dollars on to try and make cute and cuddly and to bring people in to be like, oh, look at the son of Godzilla. He's so cute and adorable. Like, they, they missed the mark by a wide margin. Like, <laughs> I mean more power to anybody that likes Manila. If if you're a fan of Manila, again, you know, more power to you. I do not like Manila. I never have liked Manila, even whenever I was a little kid. The Son of Godzilla is one of the, uh, I did in the early years saga of my podcast, it's one of the first Godzilla films that I ever saw whenever I was in a hotel. I've, I've, I saw this film whenever I was like six or seven years old. And even at that age, whenever I saw Manila, I was like, what is that thing? Like, you know, like, I just, nope, I did not care for it. And so that's what they were going to try and do. So the movie comes out and it does not make the amount of money that Toho wanted it to make. And they're beginning to come to terms with the fact that maybe the Godzilla franchise has run its course. Like, they believe that they were out of ideas. Like, they've had him go up against an American kaiju with King Kong. They've had him go up against some of their own creations in, uh, you know, Mothra. Uh, the crossover with Mothra. They had him team up with Rodan, another popular kaiju of theirs. 
They created an original villain in King Ghidorah, had Godzilla go up against him twice. And then, you know, <clears throat> they just, they were running out of ideas. They didn't really know what else to do, what other kind of movies that they could go with or anything. And I'm going to go on ahead and say something real quick, people. It's, it's completely unrelated to kaiju. But if you hear anything going on in the background, I'm having a time. You see, me, I, I have a new cat. It's a kitten. I've, I found it uh, outside a few months ago. It was not doing well health-wise and all of that. And so I managed to catch it, bring it inside, brought it to the vet. It is very much getting healthier and all that. And it is now in its healthy enough stage to where it runs around the house at all times, 90 miles an hour, and crashing into things and bumping into things and making all kinds of noise. So if y'all hear something rummaging around in the background of my podcast, that's just, that's her. She's just running around having a grand old time. I've had to pause this episode twice already to basically, like, what are you doing? Get away. <laughs> but yeah. <clears throat> so just wanted to throw that out there so that my listeners are not sitting there going, what in the world is that background noise? So now you know it's a kitten. That is just running around and living life and loving life and is very appreciative of the fact that I went outside one day and found her and brought her inside and is now giving her the best life that she could possibly have because I am a very, very, very big animal lover. And so I just, I can't stand to see an animal suffer or not be doing well. I have the power to do something about it. I'm going to do something about it. And I did that with this little lady and now I get to deal with her. <laughs> but don't, don't mistake uh, what, what I'm saying is like, uh, I'm regretting my decision. I love the fact that I brought this little cat into our lives. I love her to death and all of that kind of stuff. But yeah, she's, she's just running around and bumping into things and all of that kind of stuff. So um, <clears throat> anyway, back to Godzilla and not about cats, which fun fact, there was a episode in the big O, which involved a kaiju cat in which the big O had to go up against and everything. It was one of my favorite episodes of the show. And so just throwing that out there, you know, somewhat the cat talk is related to kaiju because there was a kaiju cat in a, uh, anime show and all of that. So all right, hoorah. Let's, um, let's move on. So, they, Toho believed that they had run out of ideas with Godzilla and that it had run its course. And so the decision was basically like, we're going to bring Godzilla to an end. We're, we're done. Now, they, was, they were never going to actually just flat out end the Godzilla franchise. It was really more that they were just going to put it on hiatus. Because, you know, the franchise had already been running at this point in time. Had already been running for, you know, nearly 20 years or something like that. Um, so, no, not 20 years. Uh, really more about like 14 years, 15 years, something like that. So, 
and they had made decent money with it. Like they, a lot of the films were not losing money. It just wasn't making enough money for them to be like, yeah, this is worth it to continue doing this. So they never were really just going to like, we're going to end Godzilla. We're never going to make another movie again. They were really just going to put him on hiatus. And so they decided to give Jun Fukuda, who had directed the last two Godzilla films, the island-themed Godzilla films, and they gave him the boot and decided to bring back Ishiro Honda. And they were basically like, you worked your magic with the original Gojira film. We want you to work your magic again with basically what we believe as of right now is going to be the final Godzilla film until we decide to rejuvenate this franchise or anything. So Ishiro Honda, he did, he worked his magic, and he made one of the greatest Showa-era Godzilla films that there is. It is a cult, it has a cult following. It is very, very popular. It's a fan favorite. It's one of my favorites, and that is Destroy All Monsters. And Ishiro Honda decided, he basically, he wanted this movie to be a spectacle. He wanted to sit there and, and basically say every monster that we have ever created so far in our kaiju shared universe, he wanted to have in this movie. Like, to the point to where, you know, it was already a massive movie with the amount of monsters and everything that was in it. But there were supposed to be more. There, there were supposed to be more monsters. Like, the giant octopus was supposed to make an appearance. Uh, the name of that particular kaiju is uh, escaping me at the moment. I apologize. But the giant octopus was supposed to make an appearance in that film. Um, <clears throat> Gyra and Sanda. Now, you more diehard fans know those names. But for those of you that don't know, those are the Gargantuas from War of the Gargantuas. They were supposed to make an appearance in this film and basically be like, nope, they didn't die in War of the Gargantuas. They were going to make an appearance. Believe it or not, King Kong was going to make an appearance. The Toho version of King Kong was going to. But because of the constant script rewriting and planning and all of that kind of stuff, whenever it actually came time to start shooting the movie, Toho had pretty much lost the rights to use King Kong in their Toho property. So King Kong was out, and then it was just simply a decision to be made on whether they were going to use Gyra and Sanda, and they ultimately decided not to, which I wish that they would. I think that they those two would have... I would love to see a tag team, <clears throat> or not really a tag team, but a team-up of those two going up against King Ghidorah. Like, you know... The, the Gargantua siblings going up against Monster Zero, I think that that would be a very interesting fight. I would, I would, I would really like to, I would really, really, really would have liked to have seen that, but it is what it is. So Ishiro Honda decided that he was going to go with the alien concept, the alien concept that was introduced in, um, uh, one of the King Ghidorah films, uh, Invasion of Astro Monster which involved, like, mind control of the monsters and all of that kind of stuff. He decided that he was going to bring that concept back, and so that's what he did. And, you know, they made the movie, and like I said, it was a success. It was very popular amongst the fans. 
it made a decent amount of money. I always remembered whenever I first saw Destroy All Monsters. And uh, I saw it once, and then it was years later before I got to see it again. And whenever I first saw it, I was probably about 11 or so. I remembered the final, like, climactic battle being just amazing to me. To my little 10 or 11-year-old brain. Seeing all of the monsters go head-to-head with Ghidorah. Like, it was, it was my favorite part of the movie. Like, I just remembered the fight being spectacular. And then years later, after I'm an adult and I managed to get my hands on a copy of Destroy All Monsters, like, okay, let's check this out, let's watch it, and all of that. And whenever it came time for the fight, I'm like, man, it didn't disappoint. It's still, like, it was still up there in my head. Like, uh, I just, anytime I think about Destroy All Monsters, that's the first thing that pops into my head, is the big climactic battle of... Pretty much every kaiju that uh, Toho had come up with at that point in time that's in the movie going up against King Ghidorah. And just to give you guys more of an idea of how much they were basically like, yeah, this is going to be the end of Godzilla before, you know, for a while at least, they kill Ghidorah in in the movie. This was going to, This was Ghidorah's third appearance in a film and they kill him. They're basically like, we're, we're not going to need him anymore. Like, it, it's done. He's dead. And so, well, of course, you know, God, whenever it comes to Showa-era Godzilla, nothing, it's kind of like comic books. No, nothing really stays dead. I mean, the original Godzilla died in the original film. Anguirus died in his original appearance. And now King Ghidorah dies in Destroy All Monsters and, naturally, all three monsters ended up coming back at some point in time. Look at how many times Mothra has died. Mothra died in uh, Mothra versus Godzilla. She came back and all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, whenever it comes to Godzilla, just because a kaiju dies, that, that, that doesn't mean that they're done. Look at the latest Godzilla film that came out, uh, Godzilla versus Kong, in 2021. Ghidorah died in 2019, and then he basically uh, came back as Mechagodzilla. Like, he, he was in control. Like, you know, yeah, it was Mechagodzilla, but it was absolutely the third head of Ghidorah that was controlling Mechagodzilla. So, you know, just because a kaiju dies, that doesn't mean that they're done. And so the film came out. It was it was popular. And Toho started started rethinking. They started backpedaling a little bit. And they're like, well, maybe, maybe there is still some popularity with the Godzilla franchise. So... Let's let's continue this. Let's just come out with another movie and let's see let's see what happens. Let's see how that goes and all of that. And so, the next film that came out in 1969, it's um, the dark days of the Showa era are about to begin. To where. Whenever I say the dark days of the Showa era, I mean like the the. Like, next, like, two or three films that come out, or some of the films that come out, like, throughout the rest of the Showa era, are full of such ridiculousness and childishness that these next few films pretty much put a stain on the rest of the Showa era 
for many general audiences. If you're someone like me, you pretty much love the Showa era for what it was. You understand what was going on behind the scenes, what Toho wanted to do. A lot of times the director's hands were tied. It was executive producers and executive level guys at Toho making a lot of these decisions. And that's what ended up happening happening in some of the really dark moments of the Showa era. Like, I know that. I love that. I still love the, well, I don't love that. That, you know, there there was executive interference in all of that. But I love what the Showa era is. I love its cheesiness. I love that it is, it's cartoonish and all of that kind of stuff. I know what films were aimed at children and which ones were not aimed at children and all of that. So I know the difference and I can appreciate the Showa era for what it was. But there's lots of people that have only seen some of the bad versions of Godzilla in the Showa era. And they basically judge the entire Showa era based on those two or three films. And that's sad. You don't, you don't need to do that. The Showa era, there, there's great movies in this era of Godzilla. And like, just, you know, give more of them a chance. Do not judge the entire era based on like Godzilla versus Megalon or something like that, which I love Godzilla versus Megalon. Do not think that I was just bad mouthing that movie. I love Godzilla versus Megalon. I'm just throwing that out there. But anywho, I'm not talking about Godzilla versus Megalon right now. I'm talking about what is mostly, even though I just said how much I love the cheesiness and the Showa era and all of that kind of stuff, I do not have a whole lot of love for this next film. And I'm not alone. This is generally considered to be the worst Godzilla film, not just in the Showa era, but just the worst Godzilla film, period. Um, nine times out of ten, you talk to a diehard Godzilla fan, this film is going to rank very, very, very low, usually dead last on their list of favorite Godzilla films, and that is the 1969 film All Monsters Attack. That is also directed by Ishiro Honda. And one of the things that, like, I understand what it was. Like, this movie was the very first one that was ever marketed directly towards children. And <clears throat> um, it was, it pretty much was conceived because of a film festival and all of that kind of stuff. It was aimed directly at children. Its runtime is barely over an hour. Like, everything about this movie was just like, bleh. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's not very good. And the thing that's always gotten me is like, like for, and Ishiro Honda openly states, or stated before he passed away, um, in interviews that, all Monsters Attack is one of his favorite movies that he ever directed. He looked back on this film with very fond memories and just he really enjoyed shooting it. He enjoyed working with the children. He he loved children. Uh, I talked about in a past episode that it was Ishiro Honda was torn whenever it came to directing a lot of the Godzilla films because he wanted the Godzilla franchise to remain serious, to have a good, like, anti-nuclear theme and all of that kind of stuff. He wanted it to be something to be taken seriously. 
And he did not like that Toho was aiming the franchise more towards children. But then at the same time, he would get fan mail from children talking about how much they loved Godzilla and this and that and, you know, and all that kind of So he was torn. He did not like the fact that the Godzilla franchise was aimed at children, but he loved children enough that he was very happy that they were very much enjoying the Godzilla franchise for what it had become. And so he got to work with kids primarily for this film, and he really enjoyed it. And this film is set in its own separate continuity from any of the other Godzilla films. Um, it's basically the only time you see kaiju is through the overactive imagination or um, through dreams of the child protagonist. And it relied very, very heavily on stock footage for the kaiju scenes. Like, every single kaiju scene that they did, other than with the um, the hideous original kaiju that they came up with that was a giant toad that doesn't look anything like a toad. But any pretty much any scene except for one that you see Godzilla in is basically stock footage. And it was not received very well. Like I said, it's pretty much considered by most to be the worst Godzilla film ever made. And so to go from Destroy All Monsters, the film that effectively would have saved the Godzilla franchise, and then immediately follow it up with All Monsters Attack, like you're basically like... Many people consider Destroy All Monsters to be the best Showa-era Godzilla film, other than the original, of course. But, um, so basically, like, how do you go from the absolute best Showa-era Godzilla film to just a year later, the worst Godzilla film? And, you know, it just did not get, uh, received very well. And so Ishiro Honda was, Toho was like, okay, we're, uh, pretty much done with you. We're going to try and um, continue this franchise with without you. And so the next film that comes out is Godzilla vs. Hedera in 1971. Now, I adore Godzilla vs. Hedera. A lot of people really, really enjoy Godzilla vs. Hedera. I very rarely find somebody who speaks poorly about this particular film. There is a point in the film that is so ridiculous that it basically overshadows the rest of the movie. Like, I know a lot of people talk about, and I know I'm bringing this movie up again before I actually get to it, but I know that people, a lot of people talk about the tail slide dropkick in Godzilla vs. Megalon as being, like, the worst of the worst. Like, I can't believe they made Godzilla do that. Anyone who thinks that... I always sit there and say, you obviously have never seen Godzilla vs. Hedera because there's an even more, like, head-shaking moment. Like, Godzilla literally takes flight in this film. Because Hedera can fly. The smog monster, he can fly. Or uh, she can fly. <clears throat> and whenever she goes to take off, Godzilla is like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna chase you. I'm coming after you. And he turns around, he tucks his tail between his legs, and he uses his atomic breath to take flight and give chase to Hedera. 
And that, my friends, I believe is the low point of the Showa era. I've always felt that that was ridiculous. I've always felt that that was silly. It, it's not redeeming in the slightest. You know, it's not like what Godzilla vs. Megalons where the entire movie is so campy and corny and cheesy and everything that something like that would be like, of course that's in here. Like with Godzilla vs. Hedera, you had a movie that was being very, like it was being considered very serious throughout. Like issue, like uh, Bano, Yoshimitsu Bano, whenever he wanted to do this movie, he was inspired by it because he was driving through and he saw a whole bunch of pollution and he wanted to come up with a movie with a very anti-pollution theme. That is a very good theme to do in a movie because pollution was and is still an issue. And he wanted to convey that. Like in the original Godzilla film that had an anti-nuclear theme, this one would have an anti-pollution theme. And that's where Hetera come, came from, which was basically Hetera was pollution personified. And Godzilla was going to try and go up against this thing and, you know, basically be like, hey, pollution's bad. We should stop polluting and stop doing this and stop doing that. And we need to take care of the planet and all that kind of stuff. It's a very good message. And the film had been pretty serious up until Godzilla takes flight. And like I said, that part pretty much just overshadows the rest of the movie. And it's a shame. It, it really is a shame because it's a good movie. And that, that part just, it like, ah. yeah, definitely in my personal opinion, definitely the low point of the Godzilla franchise as a whole. So after Godzilla vs. Hedera comes out, the film, um, it didn't do super, super well. So Toho decided, okay, we're going to try. They bring back Jun Fukuda, who had done the two island theme Godzilla films. And they were basically like, we want you to try and make the Godzilla franchise more serious bring it back to what it used to be, like, let's try to come up with another spectacle. And so they said, okay. And so originally, now this film, I've got an entire episode on this film, so if you want all the details, by all means, go check that out. But this film went through numerous rewrites and all of that kind of stuff. And originally, because he was so popular, they decided they were going to bring back Ghidorah. And originally, the film was simply titled The Return of King Ghidorah. Like, that's basically what it was all going to be about. And then they decided to change it to where it was like Godzilla versus the Space Monsters. And Megalon was supposed to make his first appearance in this film. And it was going to be Godzilla and um, Anguirus and I believe Rodan, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, um, going up against... Ghidorah, Gigan, and Megalon. And through more rewrites and all of that kind of stuff, they end up dropping Megalon. They're like, no, let's let's get rid of him and just have it be Gigan and uh, Ghidorah. And then it was going to be just Godzilla and Anguirus. And like make the film, make it be serious, make it be have like a you know, a dark, more darker type of theme 
and all of that kind of stuff tried to bring the franchise back. And overall, this film was pretty well received, in my opinion. Like, it made a decent amount of money. The fans seem to have enjoyed it. Uh, about the only low point in it is that there, uh, Godzilla and Anguirus have a conversation that is translated via speech bubbles. And um, it's, um, you know, I just, no, I don't, nope. I don't need to see my kaiju communicate. I, I, don't, I don't need, I don't need to see that. So <laughs> that's, to me, that's really about the only low point of the movie to me. Um, overall, I really enjoy the film. I like the film. Uh, Anguirus is one of my favorite kaiju. Obviously, Godzilla is one of my favorite kaiju. I love King Ghidorah, and Gigan's pretty well up there as well. So, just the team-up of, like, Godzilla and Anguirus was enough to make me be like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm down for this movie. And so, you know, it was, it was pretty successful, and things are kind of like, they're, you know, they're like, okay, we're, we're kind of starting to get back on track with the Godzilla franchise. Let's, let's keep this going. And then it happened. And whenever I say it happened, I'm talking about it. The most infamous and possibly notorious Showa era Godzilla film. The most widely released Showa-era Godzilla film of all time. This film was shown in so many homes in the United States that from the 70s to about the 90s, you, you had at least seen part of this movie. And I'm talking about Godzilla vs. Megalon that came out in 1973. Personally, I love... Godzilla vs. Megalon. It was part of the early year saga that I did for my podcast. I first saw this film whenever I was probably eight, nine years old, if I had to take a guess somewhere around in that, that area. So I was very young, so I enjoyed it because it's a very cheesy, cartoonish type of movie and all of that, all of that. But even though I love the film, I know what it is. I'm, I'm aware of what it is. It's a bad movie. I love it, but it's a bad movie, and this movie is pretty much one of the films, possibly the film, that most people that have seen Showa-era Godzilla films judge the Showa-era as a whole upon with this movie. This movie was featured on Mystery Science Theater. Um, it was wrecked on that. It does not have a good reception on IMDb. It does not have a good reception on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, it is just... There are so many people that watched this movie and was basically like, what was this trash that I just watched? Um, there's always been a rumor that it was not originally going to be a Godzilla film, that it was simply going to be a Jet Jaguar film, and it was going to basically be Jet Jaguar versus Megalon, but... There, like I said, all of this is a rumor. There's nothing that's ever really been confirmed about it. But Toho pretty much believed that Jet Jaguar would not have been able to carry his own film as well, like on his own, because he was brand new and also Megalon was brand new. So they decided to put Godzilla into the film at the last minute. And that's why Godzilla just seems very much shoehorned 
into the movie and he has like maybe a grand total of like seven or eight minutes or something like that of screen time like he only shows up at the end but that was still the power that Godzilla had I remember being a kid and watching Godzilla versus Megalon and we get to see Godzilla at the beginning of the film with like Anguirus, this was the film that introduced me to Anguirus uh, as well as Rodan. I had never seen either of those two kaiju before. And you see Godzilla very briefly at the beginning of the film. You do not see him again until the end. And I watched this film on VHS so many times. Basically just like, okay, I'm just going to watch the whole movie and wait for uh, Godzilla to show up. And... I wore the VHS tape out. Like, this is one of the films that I saw more than any other as a kid. I watched this movie religiously whenever I was a kid. And to this day, I love it. I watch it probably annually um, because I have it on, like, um, three different home media editions. Like, I'm just, I'm a big fan of Godzilla vs. Megalon. But like I said, I know what it is. And I understand why people do not care for this movie. It is very cheesy. It is very campy. It is very bad. The dialogue is bad. The acting is bad. Like, there's so much about this movie that is bad. There is stock footage galore in this movie. But I love the final fight whenever Godzilla shows up. Like, And Godzilla is like doing Power Ranger stance moves and everything whenever jet jaguar goes to monster island to get godzilla it's just like godzilla is uh like he's meditating he has his hands in a position like he was meditating or something like that like that's just the level that this movie was at and also naturally we have the the um raw incomprehensible powerful attack move the tail slide drop kick that um, that so many people, you know, if you've never seen a Godzilla film, I guarantee you've seen a meme or a gif of Godzilla doing that uh, that drop kick. Like you've seen that, you know what that is, and yeah, Godzilla versus Megalon really, like it's like, you know, destroy all monsters, almost started something good. With bringing the Godzilla franchise back. All Monsters Attack really derailed that. Godzilla vs. Hedera really started bringing it back into, you know, good light again. Godzilla vs. Gigan helped bring it more back into good light again and all of that. And then Godzilla vs. Megalon came out and just derailed any traction that the Godzilla franchise was having about making a comeback. And Godzilla vs. Megalon ended up becoming the first Godzilla film in Japan to not sell at least one million tickets. Because that's how Japan, at least back then, I'm not sure about now, that's how they kept track with like box office and all of that kind of stuff, was just simply tickets sold. Not necessarily uh, like box office gains or anything like that. They just kept track with, like, this is how many tickets the movie sold. And all of that. And this was the first Godzilla film to not generate at least 1 million ticket sales. And so after this movie came out, Toho was like, we have one more, like, I think we have one more chance to try and bring this franchise back. 
And so they decided to come up with Godzilla vs. Mecha Godzilla in 1974, which would also be directed by Jun Fukuda. And they tried to make it more serious. Like, there's a scene in the beginning. To me, it's difficult to watch, to me, because I'm a diehard Anguirus fan. Um, you feel bad for Anguirus seeing him go up against Mecha Godzilla, and his jaw gets broken, and, like, you, you think... Anguirus is about to die, and you're not you're not very thrilled about it or anything. But Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla comes around, and it does it does fairly good. Like there there's a few ridiculous moments in there. Like you know Godzilla is somehow you know all throughout the Showa era, it's been shown that electricity hurts him and all of that. But somewhere out of nowhere, he gets powered by lightning. Or something like that. That was introduced in this film. Godzilla becomes a magnet. Like, <laughs> you know, to where he can uh, um, magnetize and draw metal to him. And all of that stuff. Like, so, you know, there's some ridiculous moments in this movie as well. But this movie also introduced uh, fan favorite kaiju, King Caesar. And so, like, the movie, I don't really have a whole lot to say about this movie. Because, like, it did decent. It it brought it drew in a decent amount of money. It you know went back to form and sold at least a million tickets and all of that kind of stuff. And you know like okay, we might be able to save this. Like we might be able to save the Godzilla franchise because of this movie. So they decided to come out with the Terror of Mecha Godzilla, which is a direct sequel to Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla. They bring back a Shiro Honda. To uh, see if he could work his magic one more time for the terror of Mechagodzilla. But by, th by this time, the, the damage was done. Like, even though Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla was pretty well received and it is a fan favorite, the damage was done at this point. Like, the fall has occurred. And go whenever Godzilla fell, he fell hard. And terror of Mechagodzilla you know, rolls around, and it just, like, I love the cinematography of the movie. I love the way that a lot of the scenes are shot. I love the camera angles. I love the camera movement a lot in the film, but it just, quite frankly, it just was not that great of a movie. Like, I mean, I like it, okay, don't get me wrong, but mass appeal, it was not received very well. Like, they went as far with the terror of Mechagodzilla to where they wanted to make it more adult a little bit. To where this is like one... This was the first Godzilla film that actually has brief nudity in it. It shows uh, female breasts, even though the it was just a prosthetic. Like, it, it wasn't real, but nonetheless, it was in there. Like, you know, they they were trying to do anything to bring the Godzilla franchise back to what it was. And they just, they couldn't do it. At the end of the day, uh, the terror of Mechagodzilla is, it became the second Godzilla film to not sell at least 1 million tickets in Japan. And it is considered to this day to be the least attended Godzilla film in history during its box office run. And so Toho pretty much they finally took the hint. They said, "Okay, this uh 
the franchise is pretty much not what it used to be. It's uh, the fall has occurred and Godzilla is not the moneymaker that he used to be and all of that. And so they officially put the Godzilla franchise on hiatus 21 years after uh, its original creation in 1954. Now, throughout the 70s, numerous films were pitched to Toho. Like, hey, let's try and do this. Let's try and do that and all of that. But Toho stuck to their guns. They were basically like, no, we're not, we're not doing it. Like, we need to, there needs to be some time. We need to do something different and all of that. And so in 1984, for the 30th anniversary of the Godzilla franchise, they decided it's time to give Godzilla another go. And it would be in the form of a reboot that would be considered a direct sequel to the original 1954 film and ignore all other Showa-era Godzilla films that had come since. And that was um, The Return of Godzilla, which technically was still part of the Showa era because Emperor Showa was still in power at the time. But since this was the first film in the Heisei era continuity of uh, Godzilla films, it is considered the first of the Heisei era of uh, Godzilla films. And the reboot worked. Brought Godzilla back to form, brought him, made him, you know, he was a villain again for a while, but then kind of went more to anti-hero, and <clears throat> he was never really shown in a heroic light in the Heisei era, and to this day, the Heisei era Godzilla is probably the most iconic, um, probably the most well-known version of Godzilla worldwide. Like, a lot of times, if you mention, like, other than legendary Godzilla, I'm talking about strictly, like, Toho-produced Godzilla films. If you mention, like, original, like, Toho version of Godzilla, most of the time, somebody's immediately going to think about the Heisei-era Godzilla. And, you know, that's... That's pretty much it, guys. That was the rise and fall of Godzilla. Um, you know, I'm glad that Godzilla is what it is to this day. Like, I mean, we just got, you know, not even a year ago at the time of this recording, the biggest rematch of all time in Godzilla vs. Kong, which made buku money at... Uh, in the box office. So Godzilla is still a draw. He's, he is back to being a draw. He is a worldwide phenomenon. He is a pop culture icon. You have people that get introduced to him every single day. Um, like he's just, he's here to stay. And regardless of how you feel about the Showa era or how critics feel about the Showa era, the Showa era laid the groundwork for what Godzilla would eventually become. And there's been numerous eras of Godzilla since. And last year, 2021, was a good year for Godzilla fans. We got all, a pretty good amount of Godzilla content. 
I'm hoping 2022 is just as good. I'm hoping 2023 is even better. But, you know, it is what it is, guys. So that pretty much does it for Showa Era, The Rise and Fall of Godzilla Part 2. So, I'm going to say a few things before I wrap up the uh, episode. First and foremost, next week, like I said, I'm not going to be doing the episode on Eddie's question uh, next week. I'll be doing that the week after, so I'm going to be doing another film. Um, talking For the last two weeks, talking all about the Showa era of Godzilla films and all that kind of stuff has really gotten me in a Showa era mood of kaiju. And so I'm jumping back to the Gamera franchise once again, and I will be doing uh, Gamera versus Virus for that franchise, which is the fourth film in the Gamera franchise. So for all you Gamera fans, tune in next week to hear me talk about Gamera versus Virus. I believe that's how you pronounce it anyway. I'm not too sure. But um, as always, go give me a like and a follow on any of my social media accounts and everything. On Facebook, I am Kaiju Carnage, a Godzilla slash King Kong podcast. I created a separate Facebook account. It's just for more kaiju content and all of that. It is just simply called Godzilla Ultima. The username is at Godzilla Ultima. Just go check that out. I don't really talk about the podcast as much on that one. It's really more dedicated just to, well, Godzilla Ultima from Singular Point. Because Godzilla Ultima is one of my favorite versions of Godzilla that they've done so far. I love the design. And so, yeah, go give that page a like and a follow if you don't mind. On Instagram, it's my personal Instagram account. I am Cal Woodman, K-A-L, Woodman, Kaiju Carnage. And, you know, if you're more into Instagram than you are Facebook or anything like that, by all means, go do that. I also have a Twitter and a Reddit that is also called Kaiju Carnage. Well, on Reddit, it's Kaiju underscore Carnage. But uh, I'm not super, super active on those. And also, check out the website, www.kaijucarnage.org. Like, you'll get to see the blog that I do. I've got links to all my social media accounts and all of that kind of stuff. And also, go check out my YouTube that I did. There's only two episodes up right now. Uh, the introduction and then the re-recording of my uh, original podcast episode, The OGs of Kaiju Part 1, King Kong, 1933. Uh, I've got some learning to do. Whenever it comes to YouTube, like I'm, I'm working on trying to figure out, you know, I, I could pay for better programming and things like that. But, you know, guys, I do this as a hobby and I already, you know, spend enough money on kaiju stuff, buying the movies and the collectibles and all that kind of stuff. I really don't want to get to the point because this doesn't make me any money. I don't make any money off of doing the podcast or anything, which I'm very heavily considering beginning to monetize my stuff, monetizing the podcast, potentially doing a Patreon and all of that for to where, you know, just for like $5 a month, you guys will get to choose any movie that you want me to do an episode on. I will do it and all of that kind of stuff. That's not Kaiju related because I'm going to be doing Kaiju, you know, uh, I'll make my way across the kaiju films and all that, and I have a schedule for those. But I'm thinking about, you know, Patreon, maybe like five bucks a month. You guys will get to choose a movie that I'll do, like once a month or something like that, and I'll do that. Um, 
And uh, yeah, just thinking about doing that because not only, you know, does uh, does this stuff get expensive being a kaiju fan and collectibles and all that, but this year I'm getting married around uh, October or November. So, you know, any little bit of money helps uh, to help pay for that wedding. So, uh, all right, guys, that pretty much does it for everything. Um, oh, back to the YouTube. If you, um, if you watch the YouTube, yeah, it's very, there's a Pixar watermark down in the bottom. I got to figure out how to, uh, how to cover that up and all of that. Uh, I got to try and do an intro, try and do an outro and all that kind of stuff. Also, if I decide to do a Patreon for YouTube, I'll put on there to where like, if anyone who donates anything to me or anything like that through Patreon, like, uh, your name will end up as in the credits as like a producer for uh, the YouTube videos and all of that kind of stuff. So just be thinking about it and all that. If you're interested in doing something like that, by all means, just shoot me a message and I'll see about, you know, speeding up that process and all of that kind of stuff. So, all right, guys, that pretty much does it. I hope you guys enjoyed this massive two-part episode. I really enjoyed doing it. Um, I'm not done with the Showa era, guys. I know that... I've covered every Godzilla Showa era movie, and now I just pretty much did a complete breakdown of the Showa era with the rise and fall of Godzilla, but there's more for me to do in the Showa era to where either I'm going to do it on the podcast or I'm going to do it on YouTube or something like that. I will definitely still be revisiting the Showa era. I love this particular era. It's what I grew up on. I did not see another era of Godzilla films until... 1998, whenever um, the TriStar Godzilla film came out. Before that film, I had only seen Showa-era Godzilla films. And then I saw Godzilla 2000 uh, in theaters whenever it released here in the States. And then after that is whenever I jumped into the Heisei era. So I love the Showa era. I have very fond memories of the Showa era. I will continue to revisit the Showa era. So... Uh, for you other people that are big fans of that particular era, don't worry. I will still be visiting it. So next week, Gamera versus Virus. And then the following week, me and Kid Kong are going to talk about Eddie's question. Theoretical question. What if Hollywood had continued to create their own kaiju in their movies? Like, what would the kaiju genre look like possibly today. It's getting its own entire episode. Thank you, Eddie, for the question. I very much appreciate it. Uh, alrighty, guys, that pretty much does it, and we'll catch y'all next time. This is Cal the Kaiju Guy, signing out.